The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, hey, I want to celebrate this morning that last week on Sunday, we had over 100 people, 104 people actually, gave their lives to Christ. And so I think that's worth celebrating. Uh, So praise God for that. People make commitments. I also want to mention that midweek between our Connect 2-3, Connect 4-5, which is part of our Grove Kids, as well as our youth ministry on Wednesday, we had almost 20 kids give their lives to Christ. And so again, something else worth celebrating. It's always fun to see... You know, God at work and, um, you know, as you're praying, continue to pray as those individuals make that commitment to faith that they take steps. We have some things designed as a church that's intentional to help people take steps on that journey. And again, for all ages, but pray for that because it's obviously a big deal. The journey has just begun as people invite Christ in. So that's a big deal. And then also want to say thank you to those over the last month that have stepped up and uh, made a pledge towards legacy. I know we talk about generosity and giving and uh, we've got a goal we want to meet and we're quite a ways from that. But for those that have stepped up, I just want to say thank you for your generosity. And I will also say, you know, for those that haven't taken that step yet, I want to challenge you to consider that. We've got a ways to go. We're still moving towards, you know, breaking ground this summer on the facility, making room for people to join uh, the Grove Church family. And that's a good thing. But uh, we'll have more of an update next week. Got some meetings coming up board meeting this Thursday just to talk through some logistics of where we're trying to get to. So we'll have more details about that, but uh, thank you for praying along those lines as well. Um, We start a new series today called Reclaiming Relationships. And um, I'm excited about it. We're going to land in Genesis 1 and 2 if you got a Bible with you or maybe you have a smartphone with a Bible app that works also. Um, I grew up, I've said before, in this area. And um, as a kid, I think somewhere around fourth, fifth grade, I was really into like words and, and knowing how to read good and stuff like that for whatever reason. And um, I remember, and you might remember this, the spelling bee in school, right? There you spelling bee. And you, I remember for us, it was at Marshall Elementary getting up in front of the class and you line up and you get a word and you say the word and you spell whatever. And it was always, right, say the word. Spell the word, say the word. And so when I got to Marysville Middle School in homeroom, spelling bee time came. And um, there was, for whatever reason, we had a combined class for this. And so there's about 50, 60 kids. And uh, we got up and, and did the word thing. But here's the thing. There was, you could, you could pick easy words, medium words, or hard words. And, and being as prideful as I was, I'm like, give me the hard ones, you know. And so I, I, I got up and the homeroom teacher said, your word is transcontinental. And I'm like, oh God. Uh, anyway, but... Um, so transcontinental, and then I spelled it, and then I said continental at the end. And she goes, I'm sorry, that's wrong. And I'm like, what? She goes, well, you spelled it right, but you didn't say transcontinental at the end. And I was devastated, and um, I, I burned her house down, and um, no, I... <laughs> I didn't do that for the record. Anyways, I, I say all that because, like I said, I was into words. I actually got into publishing and, and typesetting and editing um, in college. But let me go back to then from sixth grade, then to seventh grade, still at Marysville Middle School. In homeroom, there's a girl that I totally dig. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write her a letter. And so maybe you've done this when you were a kid. Maybe you haven't. But I wrote a letter. I don't remember all that it said. I, it probably had to like check the box thing, like you dig me or you don't or whatever. Um, and um, just keep it short. She didn't feel the same way. Uh, and so, again, devastated, insecure. Uh, but, but one of the things I remember doing, and this is ridiculous, and I get it. And I've said before, there are other great churches you can find. So just remember that, that I just said that. But... I wrote her a letter, and at some point during homeroom in the school year, I learned that she wasn't great at spelling. So when I wrote the letter, I purposely misspelled words. 
Okay. I know that's weird, but it was because for me, I remember thinking back, it's like, I wanted to get on her level. I wanted to feel like we were connected. And so that was my way somehow as a seventh grader of thinking that would do the trick. Now, here's the thing. That's what I did in seventh grade. And it's ridiculous. Totally didn't work either. But anyway, um, there's things that every single one of us in the room have done on one level or another in order to be accepted. And whether it's sort of the romantic thing and, you know, person of the opposite sex and you dig them and you kind of whatever, or it's even in friendship groups or certain clubs or whatever, it's amazing what we'll do in order to be accepted from changing, you know, how we dress to the things that we even say or whatever. I'm always amazed that when I talk with people and we have conversations, when they find out I'm a pastor, their verbiage changes. They drop a bunch of four-letter words that they normally say in conversation. And I've even had people like confessing sin to me. Like, what happened? I don't understand, you know. Um, anyways, it is amazing what people will do in order to be accepted. And, and honestly, we are all on one level or another guilty of it. And it's not unusual for young people, and you think about this and you've seen this, or maybe you've even done this, when you're in seventh or eighth or ninth grade and trying to figure out where you fit in school and what sort of group you, you, you kind of gel with. And I know back in my day in the 80s or 90s, it's, you know, you got, you know, jocks and motorheads and geeks, so, you know, whatever the words are, but, but um, where do you fit? And, and in some ways, as a kid, you kind of pick up that kind of dress code. You, you, you pick up the ways that they talk, or you take on doing things that you never before would do, but because that group's doing it and you want to fit in, that's what you begin to do. And, and again, as a young person, that's not abnormal. But like I said, the truth is we do it even as adults and maybe it's subtle, but it's true. And if you think about it, that's kind of the way that we operate. It comes down to the fact that you and I were created to belong. And I want you to hear that. And I want that to resonate in a series called Reclaiming Relationships. You and I were created to belong. We were created for community. Like I said, it's, it's why young people would be willing to join gangs because at least they belong somewhere. It's why peer pressure works. It's why sometimes overnight somebody can become a totally different person. And don't think for a second it's only for feeble and weak and whatever. It's everybody. It's, it's even where you get biker gangs that are willing to wear leathers and put badges on the back of their jackets to belong to a certain club. Everybody falls prey to it because we were created to belong. And, and the opposite of belonging, in fact, I mean, I've never done hard time, been in prison at all, but th the truth is the worst punishment when you go to prison, if you do something terribly bad is what do they do? Put you in solitary confinement. You, you don't get to be around people because they know that's a form of punishment. It's the worst form of punishment. I actually ran into a guy at the end of our first gathering today that said, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say solitary confinement, how bad it is. He said, I was in the Vietnam War. My buddy was a pilot and he ended up as a POW for two years. And to this day, he's never been the same. You talk about what can happen. I'm sure there's more to the story, but just simply solitary confinement alone is terrible because we were created for community. And by the way, Social media hasn't fixed this. We, we know it's true. In fact, we look at it and go, it's worse, it's worse as it's ever been or, you know, whatever. The, the, when you think about what you do to go on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, MySpace or, you know, whatever's out there. You know, you, you that was a joke. But 
And you think about like, you, you scroll and scroll and, and, and 15 minutes goes by and 30 and 45 and an hour and two and, and hours go by and when you're done, you don't feel more connected. You might know more about someone's life, but you're not more connected. People would say, and studies have shown even recently that people feel less connected when they spend more time on social media. There's a greater anxiety. There's a sense of not measuring up. What people post isn't necessarily real life at all. And we pine for something that doesn't exist. We pine away for something that doesn't exist. Social media isn't helping you and I with the connections we're meant to have. Now, as I'm putting my notes together for this series, there's different resources I'm using, but one of the things I love is a book by uh, Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott. Uh, they've been in Seattle for years. They've written tons of books. They've traveled all over to speak, um, but, but they're psychologists and, and, and counselor kind of in that world, and they wrote a book called Relationships, and I'm sure you can find it. I have a copy of my office, but you can probably find it on Amazon. In their intro, and I want to read this. It's a bunch, but it says this, what makes people happy? What appears at the top of the charts is not success, wealth, achievements, good looks, or any of these enviable assets. The clear winner is relationships, close ones. Nothing reaches so deeply into the human personality, tugs so tightly as relationship. Why? For one reason, it is only in the context of connection with others that our deepest needs can be met. Whether we like it or not, each of us has an unshakable dependence upon others. It's what philosopher John Donne was getting at when he said so succinctly, no man is an island. We need camaraderie, affection, love. These are not options in life or sentimental trimmings. And I really want you to hear this. I love this phrase. They are part of our species survival kit. We need to belong. And then fast forward in the intro a little bit here. He says this, during World War II, doctors identified a fatal and mysterious disease they called marasmus. It was discovered in a group of orphaned babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, new furniture, and good food. In spite of the pleasant accommodations, however, the health of these children rapidly deteriorated. They soon stopped playing with their new toys and gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened, becoming lethargic and wearing down. Some children died. When word got out, UN doctors were flown in to make a diagnosis and treat the children. After only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple prescription, curing the problem within days. And you probably all know where this is going. For 10 minutes each hour, all children were to be picked up, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. With this simple prescription, the little ones brightened, their appetites returned, and they once again played with their toys. They were cured. Now, that's the example with little kids. Let's talk about adults, because he talks about this. Again, I'm reading. This profound and deep human need for nurturance does not change when we grow older, not by a long shot. Adults who isolate themselves from the world refusing so much as to own a pet are likelier to die at a comparatively younger age than those who cultivate companionship. Two independent studies found that, <clears throat> excuse me, found that adults who do not cultivate nurturing relationships have premature death rates twice as high as those with frequent caring contact. James S. House of the University of Michigan said the data indicates that social isolation is as significant to mortality as smoking, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, 
obesity, and lack of physical exercise. Our need for relationships is part of God's design. And and I want to talk about this because, again, you and I were created for community. You and I were created for connection and relationship. And that shouldn't be surprising. Innately, we probably know that. But I want to go back to Genesis for a moment. And when you open up the scriptures and you begin in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to talk about creation and this day and that day and light and night and animals and all this stuff. And over and over, at the end of each paragraph, or at talks about creation, it would often say, and it was good. And God saw that this was good. And there was evening and there was a morning and there was the next day. And over and over that plays out in Genesis chapter one. And then you get to verse 26 of Genesis one. And then it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground. Again, stewardship. And it says in verse 27, so God created mankind, humankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now you can read this. And many of you in this room have read this many times and you blow right past and you go on to the next chapter and the next, and you read through the Bible. And that's great. But one of the things I want you to notice, and this can seem like a nuance, but it's a big deal. The fifth word of verse 26 says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And I want to take a step back in the relationship conversation to briefly walk through some theology because this is part of this conversation that's important. When it says us there, it's a unique way to say because you could say, well, God said, you know, let me. But it's not the case. And as you study the, the whole of scripture, there's something that we've come to understand that for many in the room, you know this, you've heard this, this isn't new information, but I want to revisit it not only to kind of rekindle where our heads are at with it, but also for some of you that are new to faith, walking this journey, kind of figuring this out, trying to learn new stuff. We believe as we study, especially old covenant, but then into new covenant, New Testament in the Bible, that there is one God. We don't believe there's many gods. We're not polytheistic. The picture is that we're monotheistic, one God. But the challenge comes when you look at scripture and especially as you get to the New Testament, because what we begin to learn or what we begin to read about as the disciples will write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, and even Paul writes about who God is. And it'll talk about the Lord Jesus, Jesus being Lord. Jesus being the son of God and these kind of different phrases. But as you study the whole of it, what you begin to understand is, yes, there's God, but God exists in three persons. Now, the word here that some of you know, some of you don't is Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. And you go, well, what exactly does that mean? It's a challenge to explain, bear with me, but none of this will really do justice to the conversation. The idea is there's not multiple gods because there are some groups that are kind of outside the bounds of basic Christian theology that would say there's God and then there's Jesus and then there's this Holy Spirit. They're not the same thing. They're separate gods, but one's beneath the other and the other's beneath that one. That would be polytheism. No, no, there's one God. But we would say existing in three persons. And again, it's hard to wrap our heads around it, but the picture, the idea, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And again, some of the examples you might have heard before. It's like water that can exist in three different forms, gas, solid, and liquid, still water. 
Or some people say, well, it's kind of like an egg, right? You got the shell, you got the white, you got the yolk. It's an egg, but there's three different parts to it. That's fine too. I like this example, although again, it doesn't do justice to the conversation. Here I am, I'm standing in front of you. My name is Nick. I am a husband. I am also a parent, but I am also a son. And there's plenty of other examples. Same person, three different facets to who I am and how I operate in relationship to others. So I know I'm taking some time on this, but what you begin to see starting in Genesis 1:26 is this picture of the Trinity. And it starts with that one simple word, the fifth word of verse 26, us. Then God said, let us create mankind in our image. And again, you, you continue through those verses and it talks about this, this picture of, of you know, mankind being created and coming along. And it's an incredible picture. At the end of each facet of creation, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And you get to chapter two, when you get specific about creation and this picture of Adam and Eve, and, and what you see is that before sin even enters the picture, and this is important to understand, before sin enters the picture at all in scripture, what you read is, then the Lord said in chapter two, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I want you to notice that because this is before the fall and the brokenness and all that happens that you and I have to deal with. It says it is not good for the man to, everything was great about creation. Everything was good about creation, except that man was alone. And it goes on in that verse to say, I will make a, a helper suitable for man. And that's this picture of Adam and Eve and the community and intimacy that they had with God and, and with one another. Just like the Trinity existing in community, you and I are created for community. We need companionship. We need interaction. We need community. That's point one today. The second point is this though. Then why are relationships so hard? Because here's the thing. And so number one, we're created for community, but two, relationships are hard. And I don't care if it's, you know, marriage, kids, extended family, friendships, people at work, wherever you go, relationships are difficult. The only easy ones are the ones that stay on the surface and you pass people by and go, hey, how's it going? Good. How's it going? Good. Have a good day. Hey, you too. But even in that, there could be all kinds of chemistry. Like, they looked at me weird, right? We get, we get weird. You think about the book by John Gray, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like we feel that way sometimes. More recently, somebody wrote a book, and I don't remember the exact title of it, but it's the idea of, of waffles and spaghetti. And the picture is men are more of this perfect grid and things are in order and it works like this. And women kind of like spaghetti and there's all kinds of thoughts. And that's not a dig, by the way, on men or women, but it's trying to help explain, like, look, because of our physiology... Because of our nature, we work differently through the solutions to problems and the idea of multitasking or how we handle situations. And that's just the gender conversation, let alone all of the nurture side of the conversation, how you were raised, what you observed, what you personally experienced, trauma that you carry. And maybe it's from your upbringing as a little kid, or maybe it happened to you as a teenager, or maybe even within the bounds of marriage or extended family at gatherings that happen even in 2023, you carry certain things because of the nurture you've experienced over the years. Relationships are hard. It's, it's, it's no mystery why some of us have even said, boy, this job would be a lot easier if it weren't for people. <laughs> some of you have said that. 
And it's honestly, so in some ways it's true. And yet we know it's ridiculous because the nature of most of the places we go to work is some level of interaction with other people. And so relationships are hard and, and, and you take a look at the biblical picture and that doesn't change the trajectory at all. In fact, let's go back to the very beginning in Genesis 2 and 3. Who's there? Adam and Eve. How did things go for them? Well, things got messy. And then they had kids. Anybody know their kids' names? Cain and Abel. Anybody know that story? One of them killed the other. Not good. And it continues, and we could go for hours on the tension and the difficulty of just biblical relationship. Of, of, of like Abraham and Sarah. Like they're married, they're doing life, they're going to, from one place to another, and at one point Abraham's like, take off your ring, just tell everybody we're not married. Like that's not a good formula for successful marriage. And he does it twice. You continue on and some kids come along, Jacob and Esau, twins in the same womb together, and at one point Jacob feared for his life from his brother because he stole his birthright. It was a mess. Again, you could go on and on. You think of in the reading plan, if you're uh, current in the plan we're doing right now, chronologically, you just read about Jonathan and David. David was anointed to be the next king of Israel because Saul wasn't doing a great job. And he sinned against the Lord and Samuel's like, I'm sorry, but you're done. So he anoints David the next king. Well, he becomes best friends with a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan's dad is Saul. So here's these best friends and yet Jonathan's dad's trying to kill David. Talk about dysfunction, right? You think anybody heard the story of Samson and Delilah? Right? It's not the song, Hey There, Delilah. Whole another story. But it's, like, it's like, like dysfunction of like MTV proportions. Like, holy smokes, look at this, you know? It's a mess from beginning to end. And you can read the story of Samson and go, how could a guy be such a knucklehead? And then you can think about the things you've done. The things that you're guilty of in a relationship and how blind you were at times to situations that you endured because you were in love. Samson isn't quite the bonehead we think when you and I can fall prey to the same stupidity. Go to the New Testament. And even as you read the Gospels, Jesus trying to challenge the disciples and help them mature. And yet at one point, do you remember what he said to Peter? Get behind me, Peter. That's not what he said. What do he say? Get behind me, Satan. Like there's some tension there. I, I've never had to say that to anybody I love, but here, there they are. Do you know that Jesus' own family at one point thought he was a little kooky? Do you know that? It's true. You think about not only Peter with Jesus, but do you know at one point Peter was being a hypocrite and the apostle Paul confronted him in scripture? Talk about tension. Like, oh, Peter, you're hanging out with, with, with only Jews. And then Gentiles show up and now you're trying to play the fence, knock it off. And Paul rebukes him. And you talk about Paul. And again, his relationship with people that have betrayed him and his choice to forgive. And on top of that, Paul having written a, a, a good chunk of the New Testament, why did he write to them? As he planted churches with his crew, he wrote them letters saying, hope you're doing well. But he also was trying to clean up some messes some relationship issues, some ways that they weren't getting along or being humble or walking out what they were supposed to. And at one point, things that he addressed aren't even cl close to PG. Like, you guys got a real problem here. Knock it off. Relationships are hard. And the Bible doesn't somehow whitewash any of it. 
it dives us right into the heart of issues, which is why I'm excited to get into this series and challenge us. What does it mean for you and I to set aside the patterns of this world when it comes to relationship? And here's why I'm so passionate about this series. And I know nobody wants to talk about the last three years and all of the mess, but here's what's happened. My concern is what's infiltrated church world and how we're supposed to live as followers of Christ is that we do the same thing the world does. And we lash out in our anger and we write people off. And there's all kinds of ghosting that happens. And when there's a disagreement, and sometimes it's a huge blow-up type of disagreement, and we part ways, but sometimes it's over the dumbest stuff, and yet we're still willing to sever relationships because of it. And I believe what's happening is we're playing right into the hands of the enemy. I believe wholeheartedly that for you and I to choose in a series called Reclaiming Relationships, to choose to walk differently, what does it mean to do relationships the way God designed me to? And this is not a series about marriage in particular or parenting in particular or friendships in particular. It's, it's, it's really everything but the kitchen sink in the conversation because you and I relate in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people at all kinds of different times in all kinds of different contexts. Like I said, even social media, you're not in person, but you can post stuff and there's trolls out there that just try to make you angry and you fall prey to it and you spend eight hours going back and forth overnight about how mad you are about your opinion versus theirs. See, these things play out and we dive right into them and it makes a mess of our lives. And over and over and over, I'm convinced that God has a different way. But here, let me be completely transparent. But here's where it begins. And this is my third point today to the message. It starts with us. We were created for belonging. Relationships are hard, but it starts with us. It, it can't start with, well, yeah, okay, that's good about me, but what about what they did and how they responded and, and their reaction and what they said and that mean email or that bad speech or whatever they did. And now we haven't talked in a month, in six months, in years, in 10 years. You belong on Maury Povich. You're like, man, we, we shit at him on Dr. Phil. Every episode you watch, at some point he usually says, how's that going for you? Meaning, not going well, is it? That for you and I to consider what it looks like to operate differently. It starts with us. It's like the person who's been married five or six times and you sit down with them and they can complain about that spouse they married and they got divorced and that spouse they married and got divorced and that spouse they married and got divorced. And it was always the other person. In math, we learned something called the least common denominator. And that's not a knock on anybody in the room that's had marriage and divorce a few times, but it is a reminder that this conversation has to start with us. It can't simply be what they did. And I'm not saying what they did wasn't hard, wasn't mean, wasn't you know hurtful, didn't cause, I'm not saying it didn't or wasn't, but what I'm saying is it starts here and it has to. Because what God wants to do in us, and this is the series, what God wants to do in us is challenge us to operate differently. Because here's the deal. You can't always control everyone else. You can rarely control anyone else, even as a parent. It's a challenge. And yet what we're called to do is operate differently, starting with me. Relationships start with me. Les Parrott says this, and I, I love this, and, and I, email me and I'll send you this. I just like the way he puts it. I think it's on the screen here. If you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on your own, 
all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Now, I realize that on one hand, romantically, that's true. But the other side of it is in every relationship, if all we do is operate out of insecurity and incompleteness, even in friendship, that happens. It's, it's why, like I said at the beginning, we act a different way. We say different things. We, we do things we would never enjoy doing in the past because we're trying to fit in and be accepted. And so in light of romantic relationships, true, but all of them, let me read it again. If you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. The truth is, and I'm going on with this quote, the cause of our emptiness is not a case of missing persons in our lives, but a case of incompletion in our soul. It starts, you guys, it starts with us. And I'm begging you throughout this series in the coming weeks that you're willing to open the bags of your heart, that you're willing to open up what's going on inside and you're willing to let the Holy Spirit correct. You're willing to let the Holy Spirit rebuke that there are gonna be points in this series as we talk about communication, as we talk about apology and forgiveness, we talk about humility, talk about all these different topics we're gonna drill into. As we dive into those, the Holy Spirit is gonna tell some of you, you need to go back and have a conversation with that person you wrote off. There are times where you've gotta step back and deal with something because it's been eating you up for a long time and you just keep trying to bury it. And some of you go, well, wait a minute. I'd love to circle back, but that person's gone. They passed away. They live in some far off reach of the world. I don't know. But that's also why through the work of the Holy Spirit, God wants to heal some of those wounds, deal with some of what's going on in there. Because like I said a little bit ago, it's why sometimes you can go from a, emotionally a one or a two to a 10 and you fly off, something's going on that's off kilter. It starts with us. Now, let me be clear. That's not the end of the sentence, though. Okay, we're made for belonging. Relationships are hard. It starts with us. But number four, in light of our faith. And I won't, can't leave that out. In light of our faith. I'll, I'll keep it relatively short here. But how we operate as loved beings by God affects all the others around us. It's a callback kind of to last week as we talked about God's love, but it's understanding that there is a God in heaven that cares so deeply and so much about you. And when you're able to operate in that kind of secure love, you're able to love others the right way. And it's essential for you to connect. Relationships start with me in light of my faith. And how we're shaped by God's love it's what is, is what's going to help us. The way I said it last week is this. The first relationship with our Heavenly Father is the axis around which all other relationships rotate. That's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's what uh, St. Augustine said years ago in the book City of God, eons ago. Oh Lord, thou hast made us for thyself and we are restless until we find our rest in thee. It starts in God's love. It starts with us being secure in who he is. Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 42, verse two, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? In Acts 17, as Paul is planting churches and preaching to a crowd of people that are not believers, he actually quotes a local philosopher in the city he's in in Acts 17, when he says, for in him, 
We live and move and have our being. And then as I mentioned last week, John the beloved disciple, he wrote more about love than anyone else in the New Testament. When he talks about God is love, but here's what he says in John, 1 John 4, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When we can operate the right way, what I really believe is that for some of you that your emotions go from a one or a two and you're flying off the handle and it's anger or you're way beyond where you should be and it's lust and something else. There's all kinds of examples of it for you to understand who you are in Christ and what God has done for us and we can live in that love it will begin to curb flying off the handle. It will begin to deal with those situations in your heart where again, you've experienced trauma and situations in the past that make you keep everyone at arm's length. And maybe you never go from a one to two to an eight or nine. You go from a one to two to a one to a two and you just keep people. I don't let them in. I don't want to be hurt. And you've learned to cope in a certain way. God wants to deal with this stuff. Reclaiming relationship is not simply about all those around us that we can figure out the relationship with at some point. But it's realizing that within us, God wants to do a work to reclaim how we operate in every relationship in our lives. From marriage, to parenting little kids, to teenage kids, to adult kids, to being the son of adult kids, to having extended family, to friendships and work and everything else. God wants to do something, but it starts with these understandings. We were created for belonging, but relationships are hard. It starts within us through the lens of our faith in Christ. And my prayer, and I'm going to pray this in a second, is that you and I would be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But for some, it's, it's a hard work. But I'm telling you, the payoff is there. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Jesus, I pray that, God, we would have this, this um, humility in us, this openness to what you want to do, and for some, maybe the climb isn't quite as steep and we've been decently healthy, but God, I still thank you that for even those individuals, God, there's ways that you want to continue to shape and mold and, 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 and bring in the grace and, and the work that can, that can develop humility, that we can operate healthy continually. God, for some, it's that there are all kinds of, of kind of bombs that have been set off in our past and ways that we've ghosted and written this off and that relationship became this and, and God, to look inside of us and to hear your Holy Spirit say, hey, here's what I want to do, but I want you to confess to me. And for some, it will be circling back to people that we've got to rebuild the bridge. And instead of living bitter, instead of every time a name coming to mind, we feel this knot in our gut, or we feel so afraid because of trauma or whatever it would be, that God, you would navigate in our hearts the depths of relationship. It's not just them and those and that that happened, but within our own selves, God, because you want us to be healthy. God, thank you for your love. And I pray that we would choose to trust that in the midst of however this works, as far as teaching and training and, and even rebuking, correcting through your Holy Spirit, that we all are willing to respond appropriately as your spirit would call us to as we navigate this series. I look forward, God, to reclaiming relationships starting in our own hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.